would like to take this opportunity to introduce myself. I am the Exalted One of the Dark Order. In very short time, you will be up to speed on just who I am. Now, I'd first like to state that the new rule of the Dark Order goes like this. We do what we want, when we want. And if I want something, I take it. And now let me put it in a different way, because maybe the stupid out there didn't understand. If we come and knock on your door, you open that door and you let the Dark Order in. And if you don't, I personally will kick that door down and lead the Dark Order through it. Seems to be a little bit of silence. Maybe you don't understand. Let me make this one a little more personal, a little more tangible for you to feel, Mr. Christopher Daniels. Oh, you thought you were safe, didn't you? The thing about it is now the word is out, Chris. You are very unsafe. All your jokes, all your games. Did you really think you were going to go unpunished? Mr. Daniels, I assure you, you are not the first out-of-touch old man to not believe in me. But I will make damn sure you are the last. Now let me take this time to formally introduce myself to you, Chris. My name is Brody Lee, and I am the Exalted One.
Well, it's Friday. You know what that means. Alex, uh, special sort of wrap this week. We've abandoned our plans, recorded a little later so I could get you on the show. Um, yeah, discussing the sad, untimely passing of uh, Mr. Brody Lee. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's his old catchphrase, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. Um, this this whole thing, uh, I messaged you whilst you were at work one day and I just pretty much said, we're going to have to do something for Big Brody. Um, this thing just hit me so hard and still does to this day. Yeah, again. Yeah. Full disclosure, like, because I was in the middle of um, sort of New Year's Christmas madness when uh, when the news broke, I thought Alex was just watching, like, a special edition of Being the Elite and something happened on there with Brody. Yeah, I pretty much messaged you and just vaguely said, like, oh, have you heard the news about Brody? I think we're going to have to do a special on Brody. And you just replied with, a bit busy at work, we'll talk about Dark Light. Dark Order some other time. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> because you just thought I just really desperately wanted to take time from your work your work shift to discuss the antics of John Silver and company. But um, I wish that was the case. But I didn't want to bum you out while you're at work and pretty busy and like just message you what had happened. So I just waited for you to find out on your own. Yeah, yeah, and through that I actually found out for a porpoise, but uh, a little about that later, I suppose. Um, yeah, so we're just sort of discussing the actual uh, tribute show that Dynamite held on the 30th, and then um, a bit of a overview of his uh, career and stuff from there, if you like. Yeah, excellent, yeah. Um, if you even, like, before we even get into the show, like... If you even take away the Brody Lee tribute aspect of this show, this was a really solid wrestling show, just bell to bell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably one of the better, like, overall weeks of um, Dynamite in ring, in my opinion, in quite a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the women's division, like, they cop a... AEW cop a fair bit of slack from um, the internet and all that sort of stuff for not utilising their women or not having the women to carry their company. But even on this card, the women were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely have to agree there. Um, so during the night, there's... um, Oh, sorry. So to start the night, the entire roster, backstage personnel, commentators, referees, everyone's sort of on the stage, including um, Brody Lee. Uh, what's his birth name there, Alex? John Huber, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, including uh, his family out on the ring. Uh, young Brody Lee Jr., as he's referred to during the night, uh, has a Dark Order mask on, a Brody Lee type suit and is uh carrying a singapore cane um, yes they, they do the uh whole 10 bell salute and then sort of fade to black for a moment um yeah really good touch off the off the top here yeah and uh Brody lee's youngest son nolan was dressed in a sort of outfit that he had that he wore for halloween and it's sort of like a miniature version of Brody lee's like uh one of his attires anyway ah uh, fair enough um, yeah, so 
from there, there's various clips throughout the night of uh, different uh, wrestlers and backstage people talking about uh, the impact Brody had on them, including people like uh, John Moxley, Chris Jericho. Uh, is it one of the referees that talk at one stage and just completely breaks down? Yeah, that was Bryce Remsburg. Yeah. yeah, that was that got me hard. Yeah, that that one was hard to watch. Jericho talking about uh, like one of his dogs. I can't remember if he said it was a rescue dog or an older dog, but doesn't like guests at the house. And when Brody came over, instead of barking and growling at it, just went straight over, licked it, and then jumped on, jumped on Brody's lap. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've actually seen a lot of reports about uh, Brody Lee being a massive like animal lover, and in particular a dog lover, which. Hits me in the heart a bit more as well, being so dog-orientated in my life at the moment. So, yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, any other sort of standout talking heads there that you had? Uh, yeah, John Moxley was fantastic. Um, uh, they were all really good. Uh, I had a couple of complaints about things Jericho said about the arrows pointing to Mecca and all that sort of stuff, and he just sort of made himself seem like an ignorant, uncultured kind of guy, because I, I thought that was half well-known, but and he pretty much referred to Saudi Arabian culture as trivia at one point, so <laughs> I don't know. I think his phrasing could have been better. Not the worst thing Chris Jericho does on this show, that's for sure. But... <laughs> Was Jericho, just to briefly, briefly sidetrack, was Jericho one of the ones stuck on the plane? No, um, he would have been in AEW by then, wouldn't he? I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, he was out of the company by then. Yeah, because the only Saudi Arabian show he did was the very first Saudi Arabian pay-per-view, which was the Greatest Royal Rumble. Which one was the one where Buddy got stuck? Was it second Super Showdown in Saudi? Saudi Showdown? Where yeah, it was either that or... It was either that one or that really controversial Crown Jewel pay-per-view. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I I, I prefer prefer to sort of block out all the Saudi Arabian shows out of memory. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, so, yeah, getting into the show itself, it's uh, a lot of the graphics are replaced with like the Dark Order logo instead of the AEW logo when going to break or replay. Uh, the black, white and gold motif is replaced by the uh, purple with accents of white in the uh, graphics package as well. So it's a very... Even even the lights on the in the stage area had been replaced from the multicolors they had to just more of a stagnant sort of purple yeah yeah exactly sort of centering the uh, the whole night around um dark order and brody lee as we see throughout all the matches so uh to kick things off we have uh the team of matt hardy and private party isaiah Cassidy and mark quinn versus the team of the Young Bucks, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, teaming with the representative from the Dark Order, Colt Cabana. Like, it's sort of a, a pretty heavy night. A lot of the wrestlers and um, even some of the referees are wearing armbands, uh, either with, like, a Brody or his initials on there, 
like a little um uh remembrance sort of message on the black armbands a colt comes out and he's just bawling his eyes out and for the first time ever in the ring he does the uh the dark order pose to start the match just dead staring the camera yeah he pretty much um like this whole time he hadn't officially joined the dark order but for this show he finally sort of embraced being a member of the dark order which was a pretty nice touch yeah as commentary was uh, mentioning uh during this match that colt was sort of handpicked by Brody lee to be sort of um his apprentice or sort of um chosen to come over to dark order if you will whereas like guys like reynolds and silver were tasked with hiring other people yeah so he was handpicked by uh Brody lee that i was saying throughout the night Good 13-minute match here. Ultimately, uh, after help from the Young Bucks, Colt Cabana gets a win here, just breaks down afterwards, posing on the turnbuckle, doing the uh, Brody Lee sort of hand gesture there for the Dark Order as well. Yeah. Yeah, this was a really great opener. Um, Colt Cabana and the Young Bucks, I'd love to see these three guys sort of team up more, but I don't think that'll happen. Uh, yes, uh, this week's uh, circumstances, which we're not touching on, may <laughs> allude to where they're going. Can, uh, can we quickly just mention one thing because of a previous review we've done? So if we can quickly jump ahead to the following week's Dynamite, Kenny Omega stares into the camera, turns his hat backwards, and says, you made me flick the switch. You made me flip the switch. It was a total reference to Sylvester Stallone turning his hat backwards in Over the Top. Which you can go and find in the Wrestling All-Star archives for free. Exactly. <laughs> so um, if you have or you haven't seen that yet, just picture Sylvester Stallone as part of the Bullet Club. <laughs> Did Kenny actually say it makes him feel like a truck? No, he didn't. He didn't go that far, but he yeah, said, you made me flip the switch. Which is exactly what Sylvester Stallone says. Yeah. Uh, from there, a lot of multi-man matches throughout the night. Next, we see the team of Eddie Kingston, the Butcher and the Blade, accompanied by the Bunny in their corner, taking on the team of Lance Archer with Jake Roberts in his corner and the teammates from the Dark Order, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. Um, I should mention throughout the entire night, whenever a member of the Dark Order makes their entrance, all of Dark Order come out on the ramp plate and uh, do the Dark Order hand pose. Yeah, it was a really nice touch, like sort of showing like a... A a, unified stable. Yeah, yeah. Some solidarity and all that sort of good stuff. Um, Yeah, I'm sure we'll touch touch on it later, but... These guys are just going to have one hell of a babyface run coming out of all this, which is probably the only half good thing coming out of all this is that you got some superstars coming out of this for sure. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, so Lance is actually wearing a tie very similar to the former character of Brody Lee uh, in WWE, that being Luke Harper, the denim jeans and the white tank top yeah he's got the stained white tank top the 
bandanas around his wrist. He's got the bandana hanging out of his back pocket. It was such a good touch. Like, that was so cool. And the perfect guy to do it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely using your, your big monster on the roster to the right degree there. Um, so ultimately, they're running wild, and Lance helps Evil Uno get the big win here for his team. Uh, Evil and Stu sort of break down in the ring again after the after the bells rung. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of an ongoing theme of our Dark Order members tonight. Um, following that, we saw a match uh, featuring... Inner Circle members MJF, Ortiz, and Santana with Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara, and Wardlow ringside as Chris Jericho is on commentary all night. He's not ringside for this match. Taking on the team of Hangman Adam Page and the Dark Order members Alex Reynolds and John Silver. Now, I might be overstating it, but I think this was match of the night. Oh, I 100% agree with you. This was awesome. Um, I know it's kind of morbid to start talking about who could lead the Dark Order going forward, but I think Hangman's the guy for the job. Ooh, I was actually thinking more along the lines of Colt, but <laughs> yeah, Hangman's a good choice too. Yeah, so um, in the most recent... Uh, being the elite, they pretty much just did as a little, a quick little scene where the Dark Order after the tribute show are sitting in that room that they always sit in for being the elite, and they're pretty depressed. And Hangman just walks in and says, "Do you guys mind if I sit here with you?" And then that's the end of the scene. Was Colt in the room with him because he hasn't been in that many uh, being the elite skits with Dark Order. So Colt had his own little um, thing going on in being the elite at the same time as the Dark Order, which was this weird feud with Kenny Omega, which was very funny, and it resulted in... Um... Have you have Did you ever watch Game of Thrones? No. There's a scene in Game of Thrones where someone's face gets dipped in gold and their whole face sort of crushes under the pressure of the gold. Well, basically, that happened to Colt Cabana, so he had no face for a long time, so he couldn't show up in being the elite because, yeah, he was mortally wounded by an attack. Um, but anywho, um, Colt Cabana was in that scene, like, with the Dark Order, just sitting there, and Hangman joins in. It was a um, really touching little moment. Also, yeah, go back and watch this past week's Being the Elite because there's a speech from Eddie Kingston backstage uh, about Brody Lee in front of the entire roster. Like you can even see the people you're not that they generally try to hide from these sort of things, like MJF and stuff, just sitting there like breaking down and all that. Like Eddie Kingston's speech, it had a weird vibe of like Paul Heyman's This Is The Dance kind of speech backstage. Okay. Yeah, it was sort of like, I'm not too sure if it was before or after the tribute show, but I, I think it might have been before and it was like a, just to hype everyone up and like to go out there and do their best for Brody and honour Brody and 
it was like blatantly obvious that Eddie Kingston, like even though he hasn't been in AEW very long, he is like instantly a locker room leader back there. Yeah, absolutely. And he had that um, the uh, sort of sit down interview where he was saying everywhere he went, him and Brody sort of want to have that match but they the timing just never worked and when he finished his um first program in aw he was asked oh who do you want to work with next and he said brody and the like management told him oh brody's got other plans for now yeah it just never happened i've seen um a lot of interviews of people that are just like i really like, as soon as Brody joined AEW, like, lots of AEW wrestlers were like, I want Brody, I want Brody. Like, from Darby Allen, um, Lance Archer, um, a lot of the sort of lower big car guys just want to work with Brody Lee because they know he's a fantastic worker and he can make him look like a million bucks. Yeah, so back to the match. It is Hangman Page and Dark Order members, Reynolds and Silver, defeating Inner Circle, MJF, Ortiz and Santana, who had Hager, Guevara and Wardlow ringside. So in the closing stages, Wardlow decides to get himself involved here as Reynolds and Silver take out Guevara and, and, and Hager on the outside. Wardlow is sort of attacking Page and then all of a sudden, um, who makes his run in here? Um... Eric Rowan? Eric Redbeard! Eric Rowan! Eric Redbeard! It's Eric Rowan! It's Eric Redbeard! <laughs> I think his name's Eric. Uh, that's the common denominator, so we'll just go with that. But yeah, yeah. Jericho kept calling him by his, um, by his New York name, if you will. Um, Excalibur was very quick to correct him every single time. It was very amusing. And another one of Jericho's little mishaps on commentary. Yeah. Um, yeah, so former uh, tag team partner of Brody Lee in WWF, um, former white family, former Bludgeon Brothers. Um, yeah, comes down, chases off Wardlow to the back. Uh, is it Reynolds here or Silver who gets the big hot tag? Uh, Silver gets the big hot tag here. Silver's the big baby face coming out of all this. <laughs> so he gets the big hot tag, actually gets the uh, pinfall win. I believe it was over Santana. Um, and yeah, Dark Order here wins as Inner Circle sort of goes to attack him from behind. They get the upper hand here. Um, oh no, it's not this match. Um, yeah, so Inner Circle sort of goes to the back. Eric Ron, Eric Redbeard, Eric Ron, Edward Redbeard, Eric. Yeah, Eric comes out. <laughs> <laughs> comes back out, um, carrying a sign that pretty much just says, uh, so long, brother, we'll see you on the other side, we miss you. And, yeah, the big man just sort of breaks down here in the middle of the ring live on air. Yeah, this one got me really hard as well. Um, it's almost like like the bigger and like tougher looking they are, seeing them cry instantly makes me cry. Like seeing a big, nasty, tough dude just let all of his emotions out there. Yeah, it gets me every time. Like a Hagrid. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh 
Oh, Rowan definitely has some Hagrid qualities about him. That's a good gimmick for him. Oh, man. Um, Instead yeah. of a pet spider, he can have a three-headed dog. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot uh, about the pet spider. Got from a fella gets, in a bar. <laughs> that just gets killed like a week later by Drew McIntyre. The spider. Yeah, how is Drew babyface after that? Anyway, discussion um, for another time. <laughs> yes. Uh, one other little spot from this match that uh, a lot happened, so I can't blame you for forgetting, but this one was quite notable. Um, MJF goes outside, sees young Brody Lee Jr., negative uh, one, if you will, because... If Brody Lee's zero of the Dark Order, he puts his children before him. So that makes Brody Lee Jr. negative one. That's been the explanation so far anyway. Yeah, he was sitting ringside. It wasn't Preston Vance, was it? No, it was um, by Alan Angels. Yeah, um, um, continue on, sorry. Yeah, so MJF grabs the mask and rips it off young Brody Lee Jr., spits on the mask, and then turns around, and we saw the Singapore cane earlier. Brody Lee Jr. smashes the cane over MJF's head, and that took MJF out of the match. Just brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved that spot. Um, really, really uh, well done, in my opinion. Uh, from there, in the co-main event of the evening, saw women's tag team action when Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian and Miro teamed with Dr. Britt Baker D&D with Rebel in her corner, taking on the team representing Dark Order, Anna Jay and her tag team partner, Tay Conti. Um, I thought this was a really good women's TV match. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the better ones in a long time, to be honest. One of the better <laughs> matches from Dr. Britt in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Brick, Dr. Britt is a sensational character, slowly getting there in the ring. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, this this match, like, um, Anna just looked like a... Like, um, determined more so than oh. anything throughout this entire match this is like Anna Jay is going to be like the face of the women's division for AEW in the future much like how MJF is a like guaranteed main eventer down the down the road when he gets a little bit more grizzled if you will Anna Jay's in the exact same boat if I could use an Aussie terminology for a moment, would you say she's similar to Avery, how she was sort of working away for three or four years before the MCW championship? I think she's, like, very similar to Avery in a lot of ways. Like, even, like, if you slap some, like, black lipstick on, on Anna Jay and, you know, mess her hair up a bit, get it a bit more crazier... I think you got a dead ringer right there. Yeah. Um, now, was there some confusion about uh, Tay Conti's name in this match? I found out in this match that her name's not Tay Conti, it's Ty Conti. So, 
what if she goes back to NXT, teams up with Dakota Kai, and they become Kai and Ty? Kai and Ty, indeed. That's money. <laughs> exactly. You got you got Fanaki like working for WWE. They he can be their manager. Oh jeez. <laughs> um, also about this, well, after this match, let's talk about more more um, Chris Jericho mishaps. Britt Baker starts cutting a promo. And she says something about, like, this match was rigged. Anna Jay's rigged. Ty Conti's rigged. This whole company's rigged. I guess you could say this is one big rig. And she winks at the camera. Would have been. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously a reference to uh, Brody Lee's indie, but maybe it was a reference to um, Funtime Phil. But she winks at the camera, makes that Brody Lee reference. Would have been awesome if, like, if Chris Jericho didn't scream over the top of Britt Baker on commentary after she said rig the first time. Big rig! It's a big rig! He completely, completely, like, took away her punchline. Yeah. And it just made her look like an idiot. It made him look like an idiot. It just, it could have been such a cool little thing, like a fun little nod to those who get it. And Jericho just, yeah, he did it, Chris Jericho. It had to be about him there for a minute. Yeah, indeed. Um, Main event match of the evening saw a six-man tag team dream match set up on request by Negative One. So it is Team Taz, Brian Cage, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks with Hook and Taz in their corner, taking on the team handpicked by Negative One of Orange Cassidy, Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson in his corner, and Ten, a.k.a. Preston Vance. <laughs> this was so weird when I first saw this announced. I was like, what is this? But then... Because they announced the match first and then a day later announced that this was like a match booked by Brody Lee Jr. basically. Yeah. I I, I had the um the same reaction seeing this on paper. I'm like, okay, Cody, Orange, Team Taz, that makes sense. Ten. Well, I guess I'm gonna do something with Brody here and just put ten his place on, no. <laughs> but yeah, seeing seeing the explanation um a day later, it did make a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it was a really good showcase for Preston Vance. Oh, absolutely. A star-making match for him. Um, I, Team Taz absolutely did great for themselves in this match as well, being the heel team. Uh, Cody being Cody, Orange being Orange. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was just a star-making match for... 10 of the Dark Order. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I want him to get rid of the mask, to be honest. I've seen him without the mask. He would he would be killing it without that mask on. So he can keep it as like an entrance thing or something. I don't know. But like, get rid of the mask. You got a 
blue chip, like big guy sort of baby face right there. You know who else kept their mask for just an entrance? Uh, who? Somebody who's 10 times better than 100 because he's CN. Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot forgot about him in general. Yeah, that too. <laughs> oh, man. Um, really good match. Yeah, again, Cody and Orange hitting the finishes here on Ricky Starks to set up uh, 10 for the big pinfall victory for Dark Order here going off the air. Um, but Team Taz upset, attacks um, Cody, Orange, and 10 and sets up a run-in slash walk-in of Sting and Darby Allen in the snow. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this pairing of Darby and Sting. Um, anything that keeps Sting out of the ring in a wrestling capacity anyway, him being like a mentor to Darby, that's so cool. I love that. Um, yeah. And then the, what the Fed did with him. Well, what do you do when you sign someone from WCW? You gotta feed him Nahana. Golden shovel. Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, only criticism of this uh, post-match attack was the camera seemed really fixated on showing the snow machine a number of times and zooming in on it for close-ups. And I'm like, yes, we get it. It's not really snowing in Florida in an outdoor stadium that's covered with a roof. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not that it ever really snows in Florida anyway. <laughs> that too, that too. Um, yeah, so then we go through to the uh, main event segment of the evening, which is the uh, in-memory portion of the show. Um, I thought it was a really good touch, bookending both um, both your opening and closing of the show, um, making sure it was uh, in-memory, as is the whole show. Yeah, I, I reckon... Bo- by about this point, it was like just after this match, the match, and then the tributes afterwards, it took me a long time, like like, like 12, maybe 24 hours to watch the final five minutes of this episode of Dynamite just because, oh, my poor little heart couldn't take it anymore. It was just too heartbreaking for me. It was yeah. very emotionally draining. Um, I found it really tough to watch this whole show in one sitting. And that doesn't mean it wasn't a great show because it was a fantastic show. I just needed a break every now and then. Yeah, and I don't blame you after the, the year you have had in uh, Victoria, 130-ish days on lockdown, you poor buggers. But, um, yeah, so we uh, go to the closing segment. Cody's in the ring sort of emceeing there. There's... Uh, negative one, Brody Lee's widow. I think it was 10 as well as uh, helping uh, Brody Lee's widow. And um, yep. Tony Khan, sort of the uh, president, CEO of the company. Is he actually the president or is he his barber? Uh, he, uh, Tony Khan is. Yeah. yeah. His father, like, doesn't really have anything to do with AEW. This is all... Big tones deal. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so they're sort of in the ring. Uh, Brody Lee Jr. sort of sits his father's boots in the middle of the ring and they sort of um, 
acknowledge uh, that the boots are retired and Cody puts a purple bandana over them. And then uh, Tony Khan grabs a microphone, grabs the TNT championship and says, negative one, uh, I want to award you this championship as we are retiring this championship. And uh, Brody Lee is now the, um, the forever champion. Yeah, uh, was, the, was it Brody Lee or Brody Lee Jr.'s the forever champion? I think they said his father was because he said he was the greatest TNT champion of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the actual championship itself isn't retired. It's just that version, version number two of the championship belt design that is retired, you've said. Yes, yes. Um and for those of you that have already watched the following week's Dynamite, you get to see the new version of the championship, which isn't really that different, just a different colour strap, but it does look a lot better on TV. But, but the um, red one, um, it's, I reckon the second version was fantastic. I liked it. Um, I'm going to miss it, but it's in the right place. It's in the right hands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then they throw to sort of a uh, video photo uh, highlight reel of Brody Lee to close out the show with some nice music under it. Um, yeah, a lot of photos here of stuff you won't expect, like um, people from his time in WWE. You saw people like uh, Bray, Braun Strowman, uh, AJ Styles, Eric Rowan. Like, yeah, a lot of those sort of guys um, mixed in yeah. there as well with those photos from his personal collection, I guess. Yeah, and guys in neither of the two companies, like, i got to throw a shout-out to Brian Myers and Matt Cardona. Awesome photo of those two with Harper. Brody Lee was in there, like, them all just flexing in the gym. Um, it seems like from a lot of people's posts on Instagram and Twitter and all that, it appears that Brody Lee loves doing the double bicep pose in photos. He just loves it. Like almost every photo I've seen since this has all happened has been Brody Lee just like flexing both biceps, big angry face on. Ah, fair enough then. Um, so from there, did you want to touch on the um the being the elite special that aired uh, before this episode? Yeah, of course. Um, so it was just a bunch of sort of different memories from people backstage um, showing a number of highlights like the the paper segment. Oh, it's the best. It's just so good. Where's uh, my papers? <laughs> I love, like, because they included, like, outtakes and that in this, and I've already seen this one before in... um. Botchamania. It's when Sue's backstage for, for being the elite and she walks in the Dark Order's office and like Brody Lee hands her the paper. Throw him at him, Sue. Let him have it, Sue. And she goes and he goes on the ground basically at her feet. He's trying to hold yeah. it together, going, Go again, Sue, throw it again. It's the only time Brody Lee cracked up on camera. Um, yeah, uh Brody Lee. Brody Lee was laughing there, so he had to send for the man. So that's probably how you saw it the first time. Um, the part where, like, 
like opens his coat jacket and he's got one set of papers, but then grabs his um right hand to open his right hand of the jacket and he's got two papers. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like, like an old cowboy, like an old Arthur Morgan in Red Dead Re- Redemption, going for both guns, but it's just a couple of rolls of paper and. Alex Reynolds takes a bump trying to crawl away and a cockroach crawls across the concrete. Uh, um, yeah, there's lots of funny bits like that. The bit where I think it's like Reynolds and uh, Silver are dressed up in Brody's coat, standing like one's on the other's shoulder, like going, I'm the TNT champion, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, what? Uh, yeah, that one was really good. Oh, uh, the one where he's video calling the other members of the Dark Order to show off his ring jacket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, there's so many good ones in there. There's a, like, 50, 45-minute compilation of every Brody Lee segment from Being the Elite on YouTube. Highly recommend searching it out. It's so good. I, I watched it. I, I love it. Um, his whole character on Being the Elite was so fantastic. Um, yeah, apparently just before all this happened with him, he was going to do a segment with John Silver where he bought and paid for John Silver to get a new ring jacket and Brody Lee inspired attire, which he ended up wearing on that Dynamite tribute show. Um, and they were going to do some shenanigans with John Silver walking around dressed up like Brody Lee, which would have been fantastic. Like, the, the dude, like, was so good at being, like, an intense individual that it lent itself so perfectly to comedy. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, he was sort of what the straight man to everyone else's bunny man. Yeah, and he was like sort of like so straight and angry at it that it in itself was like hilarious. Um, yeah, I suppose from there, anything else major from being the elite that you wanted to touch on of um his time there? Um, just just go out and watch it. Like if you if you guys like if the humans listening haven't watched any of his stuff in being the elite. I highly recommend it. It's so funny. He's got such he's got such great charisma, which I feel like um his previous employer never took correct advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. Um do you want to touch a little bit on his uh in ring career like uh with WWF and um then on to AEW, I guess. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, my first real memories of Luke Harper was uh, seeing him on NXT in, like, 2012, 2013, whenever it was, becoming NXT tag champs with Eric Rowan, defeating, um, oh, they defeat, it was Neville and uh, Oliver Oliver Gray. Gray. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Do you remember their name? No, I don't. British Ambition. Not bad. It's kind of cheesy, but it's all right. 
it's all right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot worse currently. That's true. Oh, man. Um, Epperize. Generic young bucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed his time in NXT. Like, he wasn't in there for too long before, you know, him and Rowan and Bray Wyatt all get called up. Um, this is when you start to notice that. Yes, Bray Wyatt is the sizzle, but Luke Harper's the steak. Like, like Bray Wyatt wasn't the one having the the fantastic back and forth matches with every one of his rivals. Like there was a couple, but it was Luke Harper in between on the TV shows, probably on the house shows, like tearing it up with guys like like Daniel Bryan and like eventually like Dolph Ziggler and John Cena and stuff like these guys like Luke Harper was the definite workhorse of the team and like Bray Wyatt in his tribute on Instagram even said that uh, Luke Harper was the Terry Gordy of Bray Wyatt's Freebirds is that good? That's definitely a good thing. Like, Terry Gordy was the big workhorse. Like, anyone could get over wrestling against Terry Gordy. Um, Isn't um, Terry Gordy's son, is that Jesse from um, Biscuits and Gravy? Yes, that is uh, Jesse from uh, Jesse and Festus, the the former partner of the big LG. (laughs) Great song, though. Yeah, hell of a song. Absolute (laughs) rubbish gimmick. Um, But if Jesse wasn't bad enough, he would have a short run as Slam Master J, a redneck rapper, but that lasted like two months on SmackDown in 09. Why do I remember these things? can't remember half of my own passwords but I can remember Slam Master J. What's wrong with me? Did they ever pair him with Jimmy Wang Yang? No, but they should have. <laughs> uh, oh, anyway. they probably did. They both wore white tank tops. Speaking of white tank tops, there you go. Uh, yeah, so he ended up having a uh, feud against someone who wore a lot of white tank tops, Dean Ambrose. <laughs> that as well, yeah. The Battle of the Tank Tops. Harper and Ambrose. Ah, oh, man. Um, yeah, former Intercontinental Champion as well. Yeah, go back, humans. Watch TLC, like, 2014. Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper ladder match. Perfection. That's not... <laughs> and that's because it's an actual good ladder match of the modern era. Yeah, it, it wasn't a, like, every couple of minutes we're waiting for a dive. It is It is a hard-hitting back-and-forth match, which happens to have a ladder involved. Not just a bunch of people jumping off a ladder for 15 minutes. These two guys are trying to beat the crap out of each other with a ladder so they can climb up the ladder. It was just like... It was just an old-school, hard-hitting ladder match. Really recommend it. 
Luke Harper's singles run in late 2014 were cut really short. Um, I think what happened was the WWE started to realise that Bray Wyatt can't really get over without his heaters, without his Rowan and his Harper. And his later Braun Strowman and later Alexa Bliss. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's always got to have someone with him to really get over. And every time he's gone out on his own, it's sort of failed for him. Yeah, it starts off all right. It starts off hot and interesting, but it's it quickly fizzles. Um, so, unfortunately, Harper's promising singles run in 2014-2015 got cut short so he could go back and join the White family. Yes, the new White family. As Eric Rowan was replaced after he was injured by Randy Orton. Yes. Now I love this storyline up until the rest up until the WrestleMania match, which is when it starts getting really hokey. And this whole storyline was basically Bray Wyatt wants Randy Orton to be part of his family. Randy Orton joins. Luke Harper is just like, I don't trust him. He's gonna tear us apart. He shouldn't have let him in. Bray Wyatt has to make a decision between Harper and Randy Orton. Bray Wyatt chooses Randy Orton. Harper gets kicked out. He has a nice little feud with uh, Bray Wyatt, has a couple of matches with Randy Orton, eventually has like a number one contender match at one point against AJ Styles on, on a SmackDown or something. Absolutely incredible. At this point, it really felt like We're building to a triple threat match at WrestleMania between Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt, and Luke Harper for the title. But what ended up happening was Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper, uh, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton wrestling at WrestleMania for the title on a ring with projected maggots on it. And Luke Harper is in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal which is won by Mojo Rawley. So they dropped the ball massively with Luke Harper at this point because Luke Harper was getting so over. I remember that. I remember there was like legit talk like, oh, Randy might win the title at WrestleMania, but by SummerSlam, Harper will be WWE champion. Yeah. Um, That pre-show is also memorable for the spot of... Mojo's good friend trying to get in the ring and getting tackled by a security guard. Yep, just doing her job. It was a... but that also gets you fired. Yep. Yep. Um, this is why you're meant to not kayfabe people in 2020 when kayfabe isn't an issue anymore. Yeah. Well, it all came full squirkle after he returned and teamed with Eric again. Forming the Bludgeon Brothers. I liked this, but I love like, like screamy like eighties tag teams from back in the day. Like, like I love like the Warlord and the Barbarian as the powers of pain, big muscly dudes with face pain and like being angry and beating people up. The Bludgeon Brothers was kind of a throwback to those sort of days. Except they went a little too cartoony with it. 
if they got rid of the hammers and just like had these two guys just murdering people like they were, it would have been fantastic. But unfortunately, they just went a little too cartoony with it. Yeah, I think it was good for what it was. I seem to remember at one point, like they put the hammers down on the ring steps. And, like, some other teams tried to lift them but couldn't. Like, you know, the old Spider-Man 4. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All the time. Exactly. Uh, yeah, like Harper and Rowan are coming out with Mjolnir, as um, Thor fans will get. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I actually did enjoy these two, like, as a tag team. I thought they were fantastic. They have, like... They had fantastic chemistry with the Usos. There was like a Money in the Bank 2014 as well, I think. And it was the Usos versus Harper and Rowan. Like, go back, check that out. Um, oh, how can we not mention like the Shield versus the Wyatt family from 2014, Elimination Chamber? One of the craziest crowds of all time. Like, like um, being perfectly split down the middle between the White family and the Shield because they were the two hottest like factions at the time, and they finally faced off. The Shield had just turned baby face. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like Luke Harper had like, if you go back and have a look at his career, he had so many awesome like classic moments that. Until, like, this unfortunate tragedy happened, you sort of took for granted how many classic moments he's had. Yeah, speaking of, um, like, uh, after 2018, he sort of goes on a hiatus for a little bit, challenges Ricochet for the North American Championship in NXT, then takes time off for his injury, returns for WrestleMania access at the World Collides versus Dominic Dijakovic. Yeah, humans, please check that one out too. It's so good. Just like Luke Harper's going out there with the point to prove. Yeah, and um, WrestleMania 35 uh, from the shadows of New York City, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Stupid. Um, he was in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, uh, is eliminated by Braun Strowman when sort of Going to suplex, I guess. Mustafa Ali out of the ring from inside the ring. Uh, he actually saves Ali here at one point when they go to land on the floor. But unfortunately, as Ali springs up, he uh, cracks his face on the uh, announce table. Yeah, this was um, quite scary at the time. I somewhat remember this. Um, yeah, Harper saved Ali's neck. There's no other way about it like that could have ended really bad yeah yeah absolutely um no fault of his own what ended up happening to Ali cracking his face on the uh on the uh announce table is just merely um momentum that happened there couldn't yeah. be stopped um so there he goes has a bit more time off um does very little um, and his last appearance is sort of the Crown Jewel Battle Royal in on October 31st, 2019. Um, 
He then files a trademark for his indie name on November 26th before being released on December the 8th. Yeah, so, and he he had had like a public like requesting for his release in release in like April, publicly requesting it and announcing it, and then like constant um, release request denials by the company, and he finally gets released like later this year because later in that year because he really wanted to leave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so from there, serves his non-compete clause and is the surprise and is revealed to be the surprise leader, the exalted one of the Dark Order on March 18, 2020, where Dynamite should have been taking place from his home city. Yeah, um, there's going to be a two-week blood and guts event. That was going to be the first week. The second week would have had the war game style match um so from all reports like the elite were meant to win that blood and guts war games match and then after the match Brody lee would do a big beat down of the elite and then then the elite would move on from the inner circle to the dark order ah so yeah this was meant to be a huge couple of weeks for big Brody lee yeah. Um, sadly, debuting in the empty arena, um, no fans there, only selected wrestlers in the crowd at that stage and cameramen. Um, yeah, barely even anyone in the crowd at that point, I think. I don't think they even had the wrestlers in the crowd at that point. No, I think you're right, yeah. Um, a lot of social media buzz, though, from the fans who couldn't attend. Um, yeah, so from there, sort of, becoming the leader of Dark Order, changing how the fans perceived it, had his world championship match against John Moxley at double or nothing. Really good match. Incredible match. Like, um, it, up to this point, uh, Brody Lee's in-ring stuff was sort of hit and miss at this point, and then he gets in there with John Moxley at double or nothing and just kills it. Just smashes it out of the park, and this is where, like, Brody Lee, like, steps it up in the ring and he is on fire from this point forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, from there, goes on a recruiting spree of Dark Order, trying to induct, uh, trying to recruit Colt Cabana and Anna Jay. Uh, August 22nd of Dynamite, uh, where Lee challenges Cody for the TNT Championship. This is the uh, first week where the new, second week actually, of the new TNT Championship, the version two belt, uh, the gold belt with the red uh, strap. So there's a promo backstage the week before the match where uh, Lee has the silver belt saying, and when I lose, Cody, you can have this. And sort of holds up the old belt. And he doesn't bring it out to him uh, for the match. And I'm going, oh, okay. Then the match is going on. I sort of forget about it. Uh, he just dominates Cody in this match. Clean win. Afterwards, Dark Order just attacks Cody and all his friends, QT Marshall, Dustin, Brandy. Um, yeah, and the closing, sh- like the uh, last attack, Brody Lee swings that velvet bag on top of Cody's head and you just hear this sort of jingle and then he pours it all out over Cody and it's like the cut-up 
remnants of the first Tag Championship. So good. That moi. whole thing, that whole angle was just, yeah, chef's kiss, moi. Just, that was heat. That was heat at its finest. It was perfect. That is how you build a monster heel. That is how you get over some sympathetic baby faces. Like, yeah, every member of the Dark Order looked great coming out of that. Every member of the Nightmare family looked great coming out of it. It was perfectly done. Yeah, I have to agree as well. Um, holds on to the belt for 55 days, uh, 46 as recognised by AEW because of tape delays, and lost in the dog collar match to Cody on October the 7th, which was his final uh, wrestling match when he went... Uh, when he went on break for an undisclosed injury. So, yeah, hell of a career. Yeah, that um, dog collar match was so good. Like, a content, a match of the year contender legitimately. Like, it was a really great match. Um, I loved it. It was so old school. It was so hard-hitting. And if you think about it, a dog collar match... That has to be difficult for a wrestler to work because you've got limited space of movement. You've got restrictions on how far you guys can go away from each other and get towards each other. And you've got to make sure you don't tangle up in the bloody chain and all that sort of stuff. There's plenty of things that could really screw up a dog collar match. But these guys like pulled it off perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree there. Um, in 2015, PWI named him number 24 in their uh, top 500 wrestlers of the year. Um, also in 2013, uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter named the White family that he was a part of the best gimmick. Um, yeah, not really much else there outside of the um, the indie and the uh, championships we already touched on. Um now, it must be stated his death, even though it was a lung issue, was not COVID-related as his um, his post-mortem turned up a negative result. Yeah. Um, this whole thing, like, apparently, like, his wife still doesn't exactly know what happened. Like, uh, his wife and him himself asked everyone a part of AEW to not say a word about it. Um, and it, it never leaked. It never leaked once until the day he unfortunately passed. That's when we found out. Um, so that sort of shows you the sort of respect everyone had for Brody Lee. Because like keeping a secret in 2020 isn't the easiest thing to do, especially with the internet and the dirt sheets and all that sort of stuff. But everyone kept their mouth shut for the respect of Brody Lee and his family and their wishes. So that just says something right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want to listen to sort of anything um, more on this, um, Alex and myself would recommend shows like RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk, um, uh, Sunday night's main event, uh, Post Wrestling or Wrestling Observer Live, all of which have uh, free access to uh, certain news and uh, review reports of this show and um, retrospective of Brody Lee. 
Um, yeah, there's also a really great, like, as much as I don't like his podcast, um, Talk is Jericho podcast. It's a tribute to Brody Lee. Um, there's guys like Arn Anderson, Christopher Daniels, Silver Reynolds, Uri Grayson. Yes. Dare I ask, did Cornette release anything? Yes, he was very respectful. He was very good about it. He was very good about it. He, like, had a couple of snide, like, shots at AEW for booking Brody Lee poorly, in his opinion. But um, besides that, it was fine. It was actually kind of nice. And I think I've probably said the same criticism, like, why do you hold on to the belt for two months and then drop it back to Cody? But now knowing, uh, in hindsight, the man was ill and giving it to Cody in a position like that would have been the right choice for the company. Yeah, so from all reports, he was injured, actually physically injured in the ankle or something, going into the dog collar match. So he knew he was going to have to take a few weeks off after that match anyway. Yeah. But after he'd healed up from having the injuries looked at, that's when he started getting back on his exercise bike and he normally finishes his exercise bike routine really quickly. But this particular day, he just couldn't finish it. And then that's when the lung issues started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose sort of any closing uh, thoughts or memories of that before we sign off for the week? Um. I can't say too much more. Like, this guy was just fantastic to watch. Like, so much potential. It's heartbreaking to, like, selfishly think about, like, what could have been with him. What, um, yeah, it was just, and that tribute show was just so, it was fantastic. Um, as wrestling fans, it's, we've had to experience a few things like that. The, tribute shows of the past but this time it had been a really long time since we had to go through something like this and to see the like way that Brody Lee's passing has sort of unified like united like wrestlers from every company fans from every company it's everyone getting along for a little bit to you know, share show their respects to Brody Lee and his family. Um, yeah, it's been great to see. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree with uh, everything you've just said there. If I was to say anything, I'd be repeating myself. Um, yeah, so bit of a different review here. Um, next week will be the final solo review, and then back into regular scheduled programming. Exactly, yeah. Um, also, I just want to quickly take note, um, like, every single company across the board has, like, made, done their own little tributes to Brady Lee. Like, like I've heard the phrase, you know what that means, on Wrestle Kingdom to Raw to SmackDown to NXT to AEW to Impact, you know? Like... This whole thing, it's just been incredible. Everyone's getting together. And we're going to get back together soon as we get back into the swing of things for 2021, which 
thank God 2020 is over, but let's not let's be a bit realistic here, people. Just because the clock hits midnight doesn't mean that the world's problems disappear. Oh no, unfortunately not. Um, yeah. So with that being said, we'll bid you adieu and uh, speak to you next time. Rest in peace, Brody Lee.